We're getting back into Acts, and so if you've got your Bible, open up to Acts 10. And Acts 10 and Acts 11, two chapters, are a massive hinge in this book, where the beginning of the book is a focus on the building of the church and the expansion of the church, primarily within the Jewish world. Um, there are some non-Jews uh, that become Christians, but they're proselytes. In other words, they were people that were Jewish, not in culturally, but had become, I guess, essentially converted to Judaism and then became Christians. And at chapters 10 and 11 is the hinge where things turn and change from going beyond just the Jewish world to now into the Gentile world, uh, which is most of us here. Um, and uh, it, it is a significant thing, and it, it's a really interesting and powerful story. And it, and it really gets into you know, some of those, those big questions about how does someone become a Jesus follower? You know, does, it, does a Gentile need to do something special and extra to become a, a, a Jesus follower? And one of the ways that I, I like to think about it, kind of as a, as a visual or illustration, is the kingdom of God is like a big city with a wall all the way around it, and there's a gate. And there's one way to get into that city, and it's through this gate. And the, the, the gate is Jesus Christ. And I think one way to think about the, this transition and the way that a lot of the opponents of Christianity in the very early days would think about it is Judaism, becoming a Jew, is like another wall around the outside of that city with another gate. So, so essentially, if you want to become a Christian, the thought was, well, first you need to become a Jew, and then once you become a Jew, then you enter through the gate of Jesus and you can become a Christian. And, and, and just to illustrate and, and give more, more uh, emphasis to that idea of Jesus being the, the gate, he says in uh, uh, John, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, how would I have told you that I go to uh, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. So, okay, you guys know where I'm going. Then Thomas said, he asked the question that everybody's thinking, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In other words, the way isn't like a road. The, the way is Jesus. Jesus is the way. But do we need to become Jewish first? Do we need to practice and convert to Judaism before we come, become a Christian as Gentiles is, is one of the big questions. And then I think another way I think that we can relate to ourselves is just asking that basic question of what makes a good person? You know, what, what does it mean to be good, to be acceptable in a sense? You know, I think a lot of people in the world think of it in terms of scales you know, so you've got two scales. On one scale, you've got all the good things you do. And on the other scale is the bad things you do. And hopefully, the good outweighs the bad, right? That's one way that I think we think of it. Or it's like karma, you know, the karma idea. It's like I just got to make sure I'm doing enough good things, and then that will outweigh any bad things I've done. And if I do good things, then I can expect good karma is the way people. I think that's an extremely common way for people to think. And I think another way that, that as Christians we think is it's, we, we think of it maybe like a race. 
You know, it's like when I'm, when I'm on the highway, I always feel the urge to pass people because if I'm not passing people, then I'm falling behind. Or, or if people pass me, I'm, something's happening that I'm not going as fast as I need to be. So, and we think of life that kind of way. It's like as long as I'm like, you know, ahead, just, you know, like a, a toe ahead of that person. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely not as bad as Hitler. I'm, you know, Mussolini, those guys, they're way down the list. I'm way ahead of them. And then they'll look around me and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, I would say I'm better than average. And, and surely better than average is good. So what does it mean to be a good person? So if you go to Acts chapter 10, and he starts off right here, verse 1, we inter- we're introduced to this guy. At Caesarea, there's a na- man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And Caesarea is like the, the um, Roman, it's fully Gentile city that is in uh, basically the capital of that region for the Roman Empire. So they had all these different regions around the, the world, and Caesarea would be the, the, the big city. So if you were a Jew, Caesarea was where you know, the mail got sent. Uh, you know, when you mailed in your taxes, they went to Caesarea. This is the power center from a Roman, fully Roman perspective. And then you got this guy who's a, a, a centurion. In other words, he's, he's part of the Roman Empire. He, he's, a, he's a warrior who leads men. He's a part of a cohort that's known as the Italian cohort. And it describes him in, ver- in verse 2 as a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to people, and he prayed continually to God. So there's, there's some sense of, of a heart attuned to God. And, and I think another interesting thing, when you think about this hinge, so chapters 10, 11, it's like we are now shifting not just to the Jews, but also to the whole world. Let me read to you from Genesis 12. This is the introduction of Abraham and God talking to Abraham. This is what he says. Now to the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. So here's the earliest promises to Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That same promise, so that theme of that promise is repeated multiple times to Abraham directly. And I think throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea that there is a chosen people through Abraham that somehow God is going to bless the entire world. So chapters 10 and 11 are the beginning that's opening up to this blessing. And so back to chapter 10 in Acts We've got this guy who's, he's got some type of orientation towards God. It says he's devout, he's, he's giving generously, and he's praying continually to God. Um, it's not any God, it's the God. And I don't believe that it's, he's a proselyte. I don't believe that he's uh, like the Ethiopian that's practicing uh, as a Hebrew. Um, I, I, I don't think that's the case because, and the reason I say that is because the whole point that, that Luke is trying to make in this section is to, is, is to talk about turning towards uh, Gentiles here. So it's not just, it's not a Jew becoming a Christian or a, or a proselyte becoming a Christian. This is a full-on Gentile who's devout. He respects and honors God. We'll talk about that more in a second. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision. An angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. 
And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, so another guy named Simon, who's a tanner, who, who, uh, whose house is by the sea. When the angel had spoke to him, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier, so he's got another partner who's under him, I guess, in the faith, uh, from among whom those who attended him, and having related everything to them, so he tells them about this dream, he sent them to Joppa. So he sends them on this, this mission. Uh, then, we, then we transition over to Peter, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And, and by the way, uh, I think we see a theme throughout Acts. is like things happen when people are praying. Um, Cornelius is praying, and this angel appears to him. Uh, Peter is in the middle of praying, and then this, this vision, well, we're going to see what happens to him. Verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So you can imagine like this vision, huge, gigantic sheet being held by four corners. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him. And and remember, Peter's hungry. It already said he's hungry. And so here's all this food. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing uh, thing was taken up at once to heaven. And so he's, he's saying, he's seeing all these foods that as a Jewish person, he clearly knows that I'm not supposed to eat those foods. And God's saying, no, I want you to eat it. And let me read to you from Leviticus. This is the law that I think... One of the laws that applies here, it says, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. And, and in the law, God defined what's clean and what's unclean. There's not a, there's not a, a you know, a, 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 it's just an arbitrary thing. God said, this is clean, this is unclean. <clears throat> you shall not make yourselves detestable by beast." or by bird, or by anything which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And then, and then read on back to verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, so he doesn't know what's going on and what this meant, as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry, for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, was, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And so keep in mind that all these events are kind of happening right side by side. God is orchestrating all these things. There isn't any gap in time. It's just boom, 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 one thing after another. It says, verse 19, And while Peter was pondering the vision, 
The spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa and accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together, his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met with him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So Cornelius just brought all these people together. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily that surprising that Cornelius' response would be, i got to worship this guy who an angel appeared to me and brought to my house. I mean, it's like, this is really shocking and amazing. Verse 28. And when he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And so here, right in this passage, we've, he, Peter gets confronted from that Leviticus passage the food problem and, like, the people problem. Just this, It's like, uh, it's not just, like, rubbing shoulders with them, but he's, like, going into their house and being a guest. It's like, it, you know, if, if you were going to, I mean, you know, think about when you, when you go over to somebody's house. It's like they have you over for dinner. It's, it's, you know, you're eating their food and you're interacting with them at a pretty close level. I mean, that's part of the power of hospitality. But if you're a Jewish person at that time, like, that's a huge risk. Like, how can I do that? I mean, what kind of food are they going to feed me? Is that even possible to associate with them that way? And, and think about all the times that Jesus was particularly critiqued for who he associated with. It's like, how can you even rub shoulders with that person and still be okay before God? This association is a really big thing. And so I, I, just, just pausing here, I think we should think about, like, who is it hard for us to associate with? You know, where, where do we have a challenge with? Um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, I, you know, we open up our home from time to time. We spend time with people. But, but there are definitely times where it's like, I just don't want to spend time with that person. You know, it's like, I'm not excited about that. And, or there's, you know, some people in our, in our neighborhood where it's like, ugh. Not, it's just harder, so much harder. I'd rather do something more enjoyable, be with somebody more entertaining, or, you know, it's just, it's difficult. Verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. So he's now recalling what happened to him. And behold, a man stood for before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for him at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God. 
to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. And here's another one of those amazing times where God just tees up the ball, uh, you know, and says, Peter, here's the, here's the club, just swing away. And, and which is amazing to think. It's like, here's this devout guy. He's sent for this, you know, God's like, send for this guy. He's going to tell you what you need to know. And he's like, well, I just need to get as many people as I know to come into my house to hear what Peter's about to say. We're ready. And this reminds me about this one time that, um, uh, there, was a, there was a guy that I met in Percival that was a super devout Mormon, and he's from Ecuador. And all of my previous interactions with Mormons were with the 19, 20, 21-year-old uh, missionary, <laughs> elder. Um, and, you know, I interacted with a lot of them, read a lot of stuff. And, and, but this was the first time where I actually interact, interacted with an adult who was well-trained, super knowledgeable. He, was a, he had an advanced degree in uh, architecture. Um, you know, upper middle class kind of guy um, from Ecuador. So it was kind of interesting. And interacted with him a ton. And read, he gave me stuff. I'd give him stuff to read. And there was this one time where he's like, I want you to come over and, and, and we'll, we'll have him work in time. And when we got there, he had chairs like set up in this circle and he had all his family there. And it was like, because he had teenagers and, and some older kids and there was like maybe eight or ten, eight to ten people or so something like that, and we're all in a circle, and they've got all their, their Bibles and their whatever they, they, they've got, and, and we just talk. And um, there was this, uh, you know, they, of course, they speak Spanish, and we don't speak Spanish. They, they would say stuff between each other in Spanish, and um, we were explaining the gospel to them and trying to, to really help them to see that there is a difference between what Joseph Smith teaches and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, and really that core idea of, like, the gospel of Jesus Christ is faith in his work, not in my work. And what Joseph Smith is pushing forward is you need to do some work and you need to do all these kinds of things. And then also Jesus will help you out along the way. And we were trying to help them to see how it's like, that's different. It's a different gospel. Therefore, it's not the same. Um, and we we're explaining it and we we're saying, look, this is all by faith. It's all his work. We don't do anything. We just trust him. We don't have to earn anything. We were saying this over and over and over. And one of his daughters, I don't know, 16-year-old or something, said something in Spanish to him, and he laughed. He's like, ha, ha, ha. And then he translated to us, and what she said was, uh, Dad, we should do what they're doing. That sounds a lot easier than what we're doing. And I was like, yeah, she's getting it. It's like the burden of work is endless. There's no end to what you have to do. Um, anyway, so that's just reminding me of that. It's just an amazing uh, thing. It's like, here's the, so here's Peter. He, it says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And I was thinking about it. It's like, so that, those couple of verses just loaded with all kinds of amazing things. But I, I was kind of wondering, is that like kind of an offensive thing to start off with? Like, like would you start off your, your speech with, you know, I guess you guys are okay. I can stand here with you guys. I don't know. But, it, it, but notice how it says, uh, what is acceptable is someone who fears him and does what is right. Someone who fears him and does what is right, it says they are acceptable. And, the, and the, um, as I was looking at and studying the Greek in that, that acceptable idea there is this idea of that person is welcome to be welcomed. Welcome to be welcomed. So, 
So just because somebody, you know, reveres God and does what is right, that's not necessarily enough. That, that's a person that is right on the doorstep and, the, you know, ready to be welcomed by God. And, and what that made me think about, too, is just there's this amazing theme, I think, throughout Scripture of this uh, exclusiveness of the gospel of God, and yet it's also very inclusive. It's exclusive in that there's one way, it's Jesus, yet it's inclusive in that everybody is welcome. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no barrier any, of any kind. Um, it made me think about, too, the, specifically along those lines, I think an amazing example of this is the story of Rahab, you know, at Jericho. You know, here you've got this woman who's, uh, you know, Canaanite or whatever, um, worshiping whatever god, who knows what. Her, her, her job is a prostitute. That's what she does for a living. Um, and yet, God accepts her. And God welcomes her into his, his family. And by the way, she's also in the line of Christ. She's the great, 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 great grandmother, whatever, line of Christ. And then right next to the story of Rahab is the story of Achan, who's, you know, the Jew of Jews. He's, he's the prime, I mean, he's everything that you would hope for and want of, of the ideal person in God's eyes. And yet, he disobeys God in a pretty basic way. Basic meaning it's, it's, it's uh, you wouldn't necessarily say it's significant other than that it's clearly wrong. Like God makes it very clear, that do not do this. You know, outside of that, you'd say, eh, what's the big deal? Rahab, the prostitute, accepted. Achan, the Jew, rejected and pushed out. Um, and it, it, it just made me think, too, like, what are the things that divide us in our society? And, and um you know, we're not, a, we're not a Jewish culture in this society. We're a Gentile culture. Um, we're, we're, actually, we don't even think that way, right? It's not, that's, those aren't in our, in our world of thinking. But, but, but do people need to do certain things to, to become acceptable to us um, to get to the gate, if you will? So if you think about that idea of this, the kingdom of God is this big city with a wall all the way around it with a gate that Jesus Christ is at the gate, do we set up extra barriers around that in order for them to come in, to, to become good? You know, and, and I think there's just subtle little things that we can do in our, in our culture and maybe in our hearts to just say it's like that kind of person or people that practice that or, or people that think that way or vote that way or support this kind of cause or whatever, whatever it might be, if they just make that little change, then they'll be acceptable to me. They can approach me. They can, they can become a part of what, I, what I'm doing. And, and, and I think another way to think about it, too, would be uh, like to think about your, if, if you're a parent, to think about your kids. Like, like um, if you're a Christian, your, your hope and dream is that they, they passionately follow Jesus, right? That's your hope and dream. Um, but what's the fallback dream? Like, if they're not going to do that, it, it, it's like, it, well, take, take Rahab and Achan. It's like pre, pre their mention. Like, let's go back, rewind the clock five years. Rahab's still a prostitute. Achan is, you know, upstanding uh, Jewish person in society. Um, okay, my kid's not going to necessarily follow Jesus, but I'd be okay if he becomes an Achan. 
Like, that, that would be fine by me. I'd be, okay, that's, that's a very acceptable, but I do not, I mean, like, my worst nightmare is becomes a Rahab. Becomes a Rahab. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, Achan, you can come in to this outer gate we've built, and, and by the way, here's Jesus. Um, Rahab, you've got to stop that lifestyle. You have to end that, and once that's ended, then you can come to the gate and you can come to Jesus. That idea of welcome to be welcomed um, and what type of extra circle might we be putting up in our, in our lives and around other people. And then, and, then, and then Peter just goes through the gospel presentation, verse 36. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, which is a great emphasis to put in there because Jesus is Lord of all, not just in the sense of most powerful, but welcoming to everybody. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him and on the third day made him appear. Not all the people, but, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And then it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is like the Pentecost. I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit showed up and people are amazed. It's like, so there God is working. For they were he Hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain some days. And then it goes on in chapter 11. We're not going to go through it all, but, but Jesus then, or excuse me, Peter then goes and tells the other Jewish leaders about it, and they have a little bit of a debate about, you know, is this okay? Is this cool? Um, is, is this fine, the way that Gentiles are coming to, to Jesus? Is that okay? Um, and, and he basically says, the Holy Spirit came. It's like, God did it all. Like, what did I do? I just obeyed and followed the direction that, that God, God took me. Um, and then, of course, that, that debate continues. And if you guys are familiar with Acts, in, in chapter 15, um, it says, but some men, verse 1, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there was some, this group of people that had become Christians, were following Jesus, but they said, no, you need to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And then you've, you've all probably heard the, the uh, Galatians 2, um, which I think is, a, is an amazing story. Galatians 2, we, we, um, I'm going to turn there for a second. In uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to, to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, 
Paul is telling the Gentiles, hey, Peter and I had this conflict. So this is after Peter had experienced all this stuff with Cornelius. And he says, uh, for before certain men came from James, he was eating and with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. And, and, and essentially what was happening is that these, these Jewish Christians were saying, when they showed up, Peter started acting more like a, a, a Jew again. And basically pushing these other Gentile Christians away. And, and I think that what that highlights is that if Peter, the apostle, can slip into this attitude of there's, certain, there's a performance, there's... there's Actions that I need to take outside of Jesus that, that make me good. That, that make me, you know, satisfactory or, you know, the right kind of person. Again, getting back to that idea of like, as long as the, the good in my life outweighs the bad in my life. And I think we all engineer what that looks like. And then that becomes what we live by. And then jump down to chapter 3. Because I think this is where it's just so applicable to us. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And who was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's asking, guys, it was by faith he became a Christian, right? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if, if indeed it was, was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you to do by works of the law or by hearing of the faith? In other words, all that God is doing, is it because of our work or is it because of faith? He's, just got, he's like, guys, let's get back to the basics here. He says, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And there's that passage from, from Genesis 12. It's like the Gentiles are going to be saved this way. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I love that idea there of did you begin in faith or did you begin in the flesh? Well, it makes you think that if you, be, if you start in faith that you're going to finish in, in the flesh. And I remember I had a former pastor who he, he described it like this. Most religions in the world talk about earning salvation, kind of like if you want to buy a home, what that means is you have to save all the cash, save all the money. And when you have all the cash, you buy the house. That's earning your salvation. This, this kind of faith that Peter's practicing in, in, in Galatians 2 is, is a faith that says, no, I'm going to get the house, but it's on credit. And so I didn't raise all the money at the beginning. I didn't save all the money at the beginning, but I am going to pay it off after the fact. When the reality is, is it's a complete and total gift. It is a complete and total gift. And I think any time as Christians, we are constantly tempted 
to self-justify and say, I am a good person because of this. Or uh, we want to brag about, uh, you know, what are the things that I want to brag about? You know, of course, the Apostle Paul said, I, I boast only in Jesus Christ. He is all that I have to say. This is what I stand on, the work that he achieved in my life. Not what I have done, but what he has done in my life. I think any time we say, and, and, and I, think the constant, I think the constant temptation for us, the constant temptation when you think about that, that gate around the, the city with Jesus as the, as the entry, the constant temptation is we say, the, the bad stuff I have is not that bad. Therefore, let me in. Or uh, I look at this resume of accomplishment, of good things that I've done. Therefore, let me in. It just doesn't work that way. We come to the cross, we come to the gate of Jesus Christ with a backpack loaded up with sin. And Jesus says, you can't come in with any of that. You've got to have a righteousness stamp. You have to be perfect to come in. He said, and, and, and I will give you that, but you've got to give me your backpack of sin. It's, it's a, it, it couldn't get any better, and that's the, that's the beauty of the, how inclusive it is. But we, we have to admit and be real about where we are, we're wrong. To be able to say, you're right, God, that is sin, and it is ugly, and it is terrible, and, and you died for that. And, and God, forgive me for my arrogance and my pride that says, no, I, I've done all these good things and I'm not as bad as that person. Forgive me for that. That's another form of sin because you're rejecting even the need for Jesus. It's just humbly laying that down for him. There's a lot of doctrine and details in the story of Acts 10 and 11 and just the significance in the mountain of detail that are represented in there of this this the basic idea of God is going to bless Abraham and through him bless the entire world it's through Jesus Christ and I've just been thinking and praying about like what God what what have I put up as kind of an outer fence that goes around the kingdom of God that's these are my standards for what I expect from other people to even approach Jesus, to even come to him. Um, and, you know, and I, and I just so often just arrogantly think, well, I'm just so much better than that person. I've never done that. I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I didn't do that. Well, yeah, I did that, but lots of people do that. It's, it's just all this self-justification, self-justification, self-righteousness over and over and over. So as we transition here to the, to the worship time, um, you know, I, I encourage you to just really think through and, 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 and ask the Spirit, ask God, Lord, is there an area of my life that I've ho- held on to that, that I am, um, you know, in my pride or whatever, I'm, I'm saying it's not that bad, or, or maybe I'm confidently standing on something else that, hey, this is what makes me worth it. This is what makes me a good person. And, and, and allow God to, to say, hey, that, that's not your confidence. You come to me through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not the work of my life, the action of my life, that 
prove my good, that, that make me good. It's what Jesus has done on my behalf. And, and everything that I do that hopefully is good and it is righteous and it is bringing honor to God, I do that out of love for him. It's, it's a thank you, God, for what you've done for me. I want to live for you now and glorify you with my life. Not stand on it as my confidence because Jesus Christ is my confidence. That is my full and total confidence. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that we can come before you and um, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And so at this time, Lord, as we um, allow the Holy Spirit to reach into our hearts and, and Lord, is there an area of our life that we need to, to confess and repent of and bring to you um, to just be honest about what sin is and what it is. Um, and Lord, humbly admit our need. And Lord, we lay that before you. Um, and, and Lord, we ask that you, um, you forgive us. And we know that you do and you have. Lord, we want to stand on you as our righteousness and be renewed again in, in our salvation in you. Lord, we began in, our fa- in faith in you. And Lord, we know, because your word is very clear, that we don't finish it, we don't continue to grow through our work. It's continually through faith in you. Lord, we come to the cross and we give you our sin and you give us your righteousness. Lord, uh, thank you so much for your, um, for your uh, death and your resurrection. Lord, and the opportunity to renew that relationship with you again this evening. Um, Lord, we remember that your blood was shed on our behalf. We remember that your uh, body hung on that cross on our behalf. Lord, humble us before you and your cross in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.